This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Can we pray real quick again? Holy Father, um, you know us, you know your people, um, and you know what we need to hear. And so, God, I just pray that you, um, you speak into all of our hearts, um, that you bring to life things that you want life to be given to. And, um, and I pray that we're encouraged to do good and to love you more and more. In your name, amen. All right, so now I'm starting. I feel like, how do I start again? Um, well, last Friday, actually it wasn't last Friday because that was two days ago, but the Friday before that, I went to um, the Fine Arts Academy's production of Voodoo Macbeth. Um, did anybody see that? I know some people did. but uh, All right, now I, I love Shakespeare. Um, I used to be an English teacher, a language arts teacher, and Shakespeare was always my funnest class to teach, besides comic books, um, because there's just so much in there. And if you don't remember Macbeth, let me just give you a brief synopsis. Okay, Macbeth is the protagonist of the story, and he is one of the, the best and brightest lords of Scotland. And he has, after a successful battle, he meets three witches, and the witches say, you're going to be king someday. And he's like, what? Me? No, I can't be king. And then he starts thinking about it. Huh, me? I can be king? And he tells his wife, and his wife says, of course you can be king, right? Yeah, you should be king. And, you know, that ambition kind of wells up in him, and he ends up murdering the king and plunging the country into civil war, claiming the crown... And then jealousy, corruption, right, um, happens. So he starts murdering people that he thinks might try to take his power. Um, His wife is racked with guilt and ultimately suicides. And ultimately, he's killed and beheaded. So that's the spoiler, but you've had 400 years to know the story, so sorry. Um, Now... uh, what intrigues me about this, right, is there's an arc, right? There's this promise, right, right, best and brightest guy. And then there's ambition, like me, really? Yeah, I think I could do that. And then corruption, right? So, you know, they start feeling confident in their gifts, a person, maybe an organization. You feel confident in your gifts. Yeah, I could do this. And then they start doing it more, and they're like, yeah, this is good. This is good. And then they start having plans, and they start thinking about it and dreaming about it. And then they start feeling entitled, right? They take little shortcuts. They justify little things. And corruption. Um, There's a reason why this story's been around for 400 years, because it's a common story. Um, Now, what does this have to do with this? Uh, We're in the middle of a series um, on the 10 markers uh, that Community Covenant has claimed as part of our core identity, our core values. And today we're going to be looking at two core values. And I I want to kind of contrast them to this uh, Macbethian 
progression, right? Promise, ambition, corruption, right? And the two values that we're going to look at are we transform communities through compassion, mercy, and justice, and we encourage global engagement and perspectives. Um, so th this is a little bit different sort of a sermon. Normally I like to kind of park on a passage of text and kind of go off from there, but this we're kind of looking at some values, and so we'll be dragging in text from other places. But the primary text that we're going to be using um, that uh, these values were based on is Micah 6.8. How many of you guys remember Micah 6.8 or know, know the Micah 6.8 song, had to sing it? We sang it in youth group a lot when I was a kid. Um, it's a great verse. And it's, it, the verse, you know, because we normally use the NIV because it's the common translation, but it's not the way that the song goes, and so it really trips me up, so I'm sorry if I say it wrong. Um, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That, that's beautiful. And the song is really pretty, too, right? He has shown thee, O man. You guys know? Um, but... Uh, you know, it's, it's, a good, it's good stuff. Last year, I actually spent three weeks on this with the middle schoolers. Um, one on, so, loving mercy. Yeah. One on, um, acting justly. And one on, walking humbly with God. It's good. But when you start digging into it, whenever you start reading it in context with the rest of Micah, um, it's not really pretty. It's like a cry of frustration, right? Um, it's, so it's frustration with Israel. It's, it's frustration with a nation that had a lot of promise and that's been corrupted, that followed a pattern of promise, ambition, corruption. Um, they pretended they were religious, they acted religious, and they used their wealth to justify their behavior. And they tried to buy off God's commandments with sacrifices. And, but, uh, but he has shown thee, right? It's come on, people. You know what you're supposed to do, right? How many of you have said that to your children, if you've had children? I... I've said it like six times yesterday. Come on, you know this, right? Why am I even telling you this? It's um, something I had to say as a teacher. Why, why is this even a conversation right now? Um, so it's a manager, a supervisor, so a pastor. Like we, everybody said this that, that has ever had to deal with other people. Like, why are we even having this conversation? <sighs> he has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to do justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And then whenever you start thinking about it, it's like, well, that doesn't sound nice. <laughs> so it kind of sounds like we messed up. Um, it sounds personal. And it, it's something that wasn't just personal now. It could have been used at almost any time in history. Um, it could be used on the early church. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Tyler preached a great sermon um, about community based on Acts 2. And the believers were joined together. They met daily to pray and to worship. And they sold all their stuff for the common good. And it was great, right? So, I mean, that's all good. I, I totally endorse and stand by everything Pastor Todd said, Tyler said um, when talking about having a compelling Christian community. But that's Acts 2. The story didn't stop there, right? There's Acts 3, 4, 5. And by Acts 5, we're talking about people that are like, pretending to sell stuff, but really just getting rich, but for wanting to get public recognition. On Acts 6, they're starting to talk about racial bias and food, discrimination, uh, food, dis food distribution. So by, it's all messed up already by Acts 5 and 6. 
And he has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. He's shown us what is good and what the Lord requires of us. And, and we can't do it, right? We, we can't even agree on what it's supposed to look like. Um, I mean, that's a big fight this year, right? What does justice look like? We, we don't even know how to talk about it. Um, and even right now when I'm talking to you, like, I, I, I feel like my, like, little harms on my hair, like, standing up, because I'm like, oh, don't say the wrong thing. Don't say the wrong thing. Because, like, I know that if I say the wrong thing, like, half the people are going to tune me out because they disagree with something that I might say that, like, the political implications or the social implications, um, it, it's, it's hard. And, like, I've, I've been in church staff meetings, not, not just here, but um, at, at multiple churches that I've served at. Well, okay, I haven't served at, like, three. All three churches that I've served at <laughs> um, where we've had to talk for long periods of time about how to honor mothers on Mother's Day, Right? Because we don't want to alienate women that haven't had children, and we don't want to um, so make somebody feel less than that hasn't been able to conceive, and we, we definitely don't want to bring up guilt for somebody that lost their child. Um, and, and those are good conversations. Those conversations are an example of love, right? That we love the community and we want to do good. Um, and, you know, how do we... How do we care for those that might feel less than because of our actions and words? It's a struggle. How do we say that somebody or something's important without saying that everybody else isn't important? Um, but if, if it's that hard for a church to come together and figure out how to say Happy Mother's Day and honor our moms, like, how do we talk about the Black Lives Matter movement or the Blue Lives Matter movement? How do we say something or someone's important without people assuming that everyone and everything not mentioned is not important? Um, and so just uh, sticking on the issue of race for a moment, um, according to a poll released by Barna in April, um, 94% of evangelical Christians thought that the church had an important role to play in racial reconciliation. 94%. It's a huge number. Um, according to the same poll, 53% of people with no faith thought that the church had an important role to play in racial reconciliation. Right? 53% thought that the church should take the lead, even of the people that didn't share any faith in racial reconciliation. Um, I mean, those are pretty good numbers. Like, right, 94% of us thinks that we, should, that we should be important. We should talk about this. This is important. We should be a leader in this. Those are crazy numbers. But when's, when's the last time we really heard that preached? When's the last time we've participated in something that was dealing with that? All right? If we all think that, yeah, we should be doing that, that's important, but we can't talk about it and we don't do anything, what's going on? Um... I mean, we, we haven't even had, most of us, many of us, haven't even had really good conversations in our Bible studies about it. And that's like a major theme in every book of the Bible, right? In every book in the New Testament, right? Jews and Gentiles, what's going on? Why can't they get along? That's, that's Paul. Paul's a pastoral theologian. He's always talking about, like, why can't these folks get along? You know, because he was called to the Gentiles. Um, and we don't know how to talk about it um, because we disagree with about what to do.
we disagree about how we got here and what the problems are and what to change and who should change. Right? No wonder one of the um, leading causes that young people state when they leave the church is that the church is trivial and doesn't talk about anything important. Right? For creation waits in eager anticipation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of who, one who subjected it, and hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Right? All creation is waiting for the children of God to be the children of God, right? And why? Why are they waiting for that? Because he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord has required of you to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Um, and if we can't talk about it, how do we know what justice looks like? How do we know what mercy looks like? Personally, what does mercy look like? Socially, what does mercy look like? Um, and how do we advocate for humility in an age of self-promotion when the loudest voices are the ones that we listen to? We don't even know how to have the conversation. It's no wonder in Romans 3, Paul quotes, stringing together a whole bunch of scripture out of context like he does sometimes, but it's okay because he's Paul and spirit by God and stuff. As is written, there is no one righteous, not even one, there's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And in that, that section of verse, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, um, believers that aren't getting along and don't know how to talk about it and don't know how to acknowledge their own sin and brokenness. And that verse of Micah, right? One more time. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Um, as a church, um, as a people, and as a person, right? I hope that the body of Christ, the church, like, you know, I believe it's the hope of the world. And I, I acknowledge, right, I acknowledge that most of us, we want to change the world. We want the world to be a better place. We know that there's something better. There's a better way to live. There's a better life that we are called towards. And, and we can't do it. We mess up. We fail. Um, and so, so I, I've actually really struggled with this message. Like, what exactly do I say? Um, with this, especially because I've given a, given a topic, not like a passage of scripture to really unpack. Um, but what would the Lord have me share about transforming communities through compassion, mercy, and justice? And, and really kind of praying about it. I, I became really frustrated, and I was like, I have too much to say. I don't have enough to say. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And I, I was just, I get frustrated, right? At the early church's failures, and at the modern church's failures, community covenants' failures, my failures, because he has shown thee, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of us. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And so through prayer, I, I've really been trying to ask God, what, what have you shown me, really? 
right? The scriptures make it sound so obvious, but my heart's deceitful, right? Because of that whole promise, ambition, corruption thing. Like, so, so you've shown me, but I don't understand. So how, how do I avoid falling into like just wanting to say what I want to say and misleading everybody? Uh, so I kept praying. I know what you require. I know what you want, right? Because it says it directly. I can't get around that. It says that. But, but what does it look like? What have you shown me? Uh, that's been my prayer. And, and so as I was praying, I, I just really felt God's reply to me was, I show you Jesus. Um, the Jesus who's proclaimed in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so when we ask, what does God's justice look like? We look to Jesus. And when we ask, what does God's mercy look like? We look to Jesus. When we ask, what does God's humility look like? We look to Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness and found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, Therefore God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord, to the glory of the Father. And if you're taking notes, that's Philippians 2, the Christ hymn. It's beautiful. Um, If you want to see our communities transformed, we need Jesus. We need him to transform us, right? Every day, every hour, every moment, we need to be born again, then again, and then again. Because we're going we're gonna to mess it up. We're going to fail. And we need to learn to accept that we're going to fail at this at times. Um, but we get up and then we try again. Because um, even if we fall, right, and even if we're broken as we fall, we believe in the God of healing and redemption. Um, God's not done with anyone. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Right? Death, right? We serve a God of resurrection. Like, that's like kind of the core, one of the core tenets. That's what makes Christians Christians, right? That Jesus rose from the dead. Um, embarrassment? We serve a God that chose to humiliate himself by being beaten and hung naked between two thieves. We need to learn how to get over the feeling of the fear of feeling uncomfortable, right? Because feeling uncomfortable really, really stinks. Um, and we're so afraid of it, we do almost anything we can to avoid it. Um, but we need to do it. Because if we want to change the world through compassion, mercy, and justice, we need to spend some time with Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. Um, because he's already transformed the world through his crucifixion and his resurrection. And we're the witness to that. We're called to be the witness to that, right? We're the witnesses of a God who changed the world from Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, starting right here with what he's doing with us. And as we witness what God's done, we need to do the things that God does, right? So, what does God do? 
He heals things. He makes things better. He helps people see. He helps them to walk. He feeds them. He lets them know that they're forgiven and not defined by failures or sin. He embraces his cultural enemies. He stands for people that are being shamed by the religious and the political elite. He shows up at parties and makes wine because there's a reason to celebrate. Amen, right? There's a reason to celebrate. And I, I'm trying hard because this is the tendencies where it's really easy to get off the rails because I really want to, and some of you really want me to get prescriptive. Do this formula, right? Um, but you want the list of rules to follow. But I, I can't give that. Um, and that's hard for some of you. I, so because I'm like, okay, this is all abstract and good, but what do I do? Um, you want a pra- concrete, practical takeaway. But honestly, scripturally, there's, there, there's not a lot with how to do it. It just says do it. Do it. Um, and we have principles that we can talk about um, that are importantness, right? Fairness, looking after the vulnerable in society, you know, the Ten Commandments. Uh, so all the racial stuff I was talking about, like it's all throughout the New Testament. But often when we look at those principles in action, we're mostly just told to just do it. Just do it. Just get in there. Um, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Um, and we may disagree with how to transform our communities through compassion, mercy, and justice. Um, but then we need to learn to disagree while transforming our community through compassion, mercy, and justice, right? We need to disagree humbly, looking towards God, looking towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, um, for course corrections, and have humility to change when we have to change, right? Or having the humility to stand up to our convictions humbly, right? And saying, no, no, I actually, I really, really feel that this is what God's called us to do. And, and stick with it. We need to have discernment to do, know when to do what. Um, so, what are your gifts? What are your talents? What are your passions? Where have you seen God at work in your life? When you pray for the community, what do you pray for? Um, who do you pray for? If it's in line with who Jesus is and what Jesus does, then invest there. Um, I, so I wasn't going to talk about this, but it just popped up whenever we were talking about the prayer shop ministry, which I think is great. Um, so it, it, that's a good practical need for people. Um, so I used to volunteer at the Transformational Living Center out in Palmer um, the first year. Um, I was one of the mentors there. And uh, they used to give out quilts to the inmates. And I remember talking to a, one of the guys. And he would um, say, whenever, at night, whenever he felt, you know, that shame and they like, can't sleep and you start thinking and you feel shame and you feel guilt and judgment and what am I ever going to do? He said, I, I would just cuddle up with that quilt and feel all the prayers of the community just covering me, right? Man, that's a practical thing you can do. Um, now, not, not everybody can do that. Tyler can't make a knit yet. Tyler can't knit yet, but... He's, he's going to work on it, and we're all going to work on it. Um, but we're going to get things wrong, individually and corporately, as a group, right? We're going to get things wrong. Um, actually, I was really encouraged last night or early this morning. I saw the PCUSA um, at the Alaska Federation of Na- Natives just apologized for all the things that they were committing during the boarding schools, right? Organizationally. You just got to say, no, that was wrong. I'm sorry. We can do better. We're called to do better. 
Um, we have to repent and we have to keep going. Um, the story of the early Christian church didn't stop in a utopia in Acts 2, but it didn't stop in the dysfunctions of Acts 5 and 6 either, right? It kept going. They repented, tried to find the solution, and kept going. There's an Acts 7, an Acts 8, Acts 9, and the Acts kept on going, and it's still going today in us. Um, so the, the, there is one, one concrete thing that I do want to say today. This is just one thing, like I'm actually saying, like, this is something we need to do. Um, and honestly, whenever uh, Pastor Todd um, asked me if I'd preach this message, it's the first thing that popped in my head. Um, and then, I, I, so there are a couple of the other places where I kind of felt like I was, God was saying, yeah, yeah, you need to say this. Um, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set a timer um, on, my, on my phone, um, a one-minute timer. And uh, I want you to, to take this minute to think of who is the last person outside of your family um, that, that you did something social with, right? Went out to dinner or out to lunch, saw a movie, whatever. And then if you finish that and you still have time, think about the person before that. Then think about the person before that. Uh, try to go back as far as you can, but try to get at least three, okay? Um, so it's one minute. So that's going to feel like forever, um, especially at me standing here. But one minute. Here we go. I know that silence is awkward. Say something. That was uncomfortable, huh? It's just enough time to just start falling asleep. Then the alarm goes off. Um, all right. So now, now, now review that list in your head or on your paper if you're able to write it down. Um, and see, who is it? Who's on your list? How are they like you? How are they different? Are they of the same faith? The same denomination? Same political affiliation? Same ethnicity? Same gender? Same sexual orientation, same economic class, the same nationality, the same stage of life. Um, this this is one thing that I really specifically felt like I, I was I was called to say. If we want to transform the world, if we really want to change our community, then we need to change who's sitting at our dinner table. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for like-minded community. Um, we need more of that because most of us are starved for that too. Um, and I'm not saying that we don't need to just spend time. We need, don't need to spend time with our families because we do. Because um, honestly, I'm the middle school director, and I know some families like 
Sunday night's the only time that they can spend t- together as a family. And that's more important than youth group here, which you know, kills me to say, because um, I think youth group's are really important. I think it's good for your kids to come. But if you guys can't spend time together as a family, then do it that night. Make that a priority. Um, so I'm not saying to include other people at the expense of the other people in your life. But if we want to transform the world to change the community, then we need to change who's at the dinner table. That's what Jesus did. And that's why the religious leaders were scandalized by him. Um, one of the best memories I have of Thanksgiving um, just happened a few years ago, in 2013. Um, we were living in Pullman, Washington, and uh, my mom lives there. And we were having dinner with uh, my mom. My, mom, my mom's Korean in case you didn't know. And uh, she owns a Korean barbecue and sushi place. Um, yum. So, uh, so she invited all of her kitchen staff um, to dinner, which happened to be mostly Guatemalans at the Korean restaurant. But, uh, and uh, she invited her moksanim, which is uh, her pastor, Korean pastor. Um, we invited a Sri Lankan family that we happened to get to know that were, um, that were friends of my son's through his preschool. And uh, we, because there's so many of us, we ended up having dinner at the restaurant. And because we were a group of people having dinner at the restaurant, people kept stopping by because <laughs> they thought we were open because it was a college town and the kids that didn't go home, they were looking for someplace to eat. And so, um, so we had several white college students come by. A bunch of Chinese students came by because they're like, I don't even know. And uh, they ended up staying like all day. At the, by the end, um, dinner itself, there was... Uh, over 35 people of all different ethnicities. Um, and it was awkward. Um, language was a huge barrier. Uh, my mom and I, um, because I, I really like to cook, and I've worked in a lot of restaurants, and my wife liked, or my mom, you know, she, she's a cook, and she has a restaurant. And so we argued how to cook best dishes. Um, so, uh, and there were weird silences that were uncomfortable. I mean, like 35 people, like all, oh, I don't know. Um, and, uh, but, and there were kind of, like, strangely offensive things that were said that weren't meant to be said, um, which led to more weird silences. Um, and there were some things that had to be called out and some things that had to be let go and forgiven. And uh, it was strange. But eventually, by, like, the third hour, <laughs> um, those conversations kind of shifted, right? They became about things that are important to us. Um, about what we're grateful for and how we ended up in Pullman in November um, and what we missed about our own home or families and what, what are we looking forward to this coming year. I mean, it's incredible. And I know it changed uh, some of those people's lives because they had no experience with any of these things. Um, and, it, and it changed me, like, like what we could be doing. Um, now, now, that's not this, this one thing isn't the only thing I think that we should do. Um, but this is something that I really think this is where we need to start. Because if we're called to transform our community here in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth with compassion, mercy, and justice, if we want to transform the world, if we want to change the community, we have to change who's at our dinner tables. Because he has shown us, so mortal, what is good and what the Lord has required of us. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. All right. Um, let me pray for us. Holy Father God, um, 
I just uh, ask that your spirit come upon us, that, uh, that our hearts cling to your words that, um, that resonate, and that we're able to throw out that which we don't agree with or that may be stumbling block, Lord. Um, but I pray that you continue to challenge us, that you encourage us to, to change this world, this community, and ourselves, Lord, into your likeness. And all God's people said, amen.